0: Welcome to the Business Influencer podcast, where we uh, invite, speak, listen, and discuss uh, the topics of today, whether that's uh, tech, whether that's leadership, whether that's entrepreneurship, uh, law, finance, startup capital, anything to do really with business. And and, and these people that we invite are are leaders in their fields. and, And so it's always good to get their insight, their tips, and their recommendations and advice on the best way to run your business, whether you're a startup or an established, mature business. And, of course, if you do enjoy what you listen to, and for those of you watch it on YouTube and you like what you see, uh, please, um, it'd be great if you could recommend and review the podcast. Um, and don't forget, uh, the podcast is... Uh, A channel that belongs to the Business Influencer Podcast Business Influencer magazine, uh, which you can obviously subscribe for a mere one pound a month. Uh, Enjoy and uh, look forward to catching you on the other side. In this episode, uh, I speak to Stephen Fine, who's the CEO of Peel Hunt, and we discuss and um, by the Peel Hunter also alongside Sunday Times organized the non-executive. Director Awards, fantastic, fantastic initiative. And we discuss obviously the reason why we think non execs are important to UK PLC, what do they bring to the table? And of course, um, I spoke to Stephen a couple of years ago, I think it was just the start of COVID, and we discuss how the role of non execs have changed since COVID, and in particular, the need and the desire. And the willing to have more diversity on our boards the more diversity we have obviously the greater more supportive and non-exec can be so let's pop over and have a listen to Stephen, who also by the way because of his expertise it gives us an insight to where he thinks uk plc and its economy is going have a listen Good afternoon, Mr. Fine, you well?
1: I'm very well indeed. Delighted to be seeing you
0: again. Can I say these are fantastic offices. Thank you very much. We're very proud of them. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, we did
1: sign them just before, I mean, yes. May 19, before COVID. Um, but you know, that's what happens. But we're and, really pleased with them. And
0: I remember we spoke a couple of years ago um, and it was during COVID and, you, yeah. and there was things happening behind you that oh, was setting up and everything. So, so firstly, you're Stephen Fine. You're the MD of Peel Hunt. Chief exec of Peel Hunt. Hunt. So perhaps for those who don't know, uh, who is Peel Hunt and what do Peel Hunt do? So Peel Hunt is a specialist UK
1: investment bank. Okay. And we have three areas that we operate in. One is a corporate finance franchise where we look after always oh, about 165 quoted UK PLCs. And there's about 10% of the FTSE 350 in there, so th- 35 FTSE 350 companies. And by that, we act as their retained advisor, and we help them with their shareholder register announcements and navigating their way through the rulebook of, of being a public company. So that's a big part of our business. Uh, we also have a very big institutional business where we now write research on ooh, over 450 UK public companies and investment trusts. Uh, that's been ranked number one for six years in a row, wow. something we're particularly proud of. And that's a business that targets many institutional shareholders, sovereign wealth funds, family offices, hedge funds, etc. And the third part of our business, which most, pe- most people don't really know much about, is that we're a very big liquidity provider. And by that, I mean we're a, a market maker or price provider to the, great, the gatekeepers of UK retail. That will be wealth managers, discretionary advisory, but also includes the major execution only brokers like Hargreaves Lansdowne and A.J. Bell and the Interactive Investor and Jarvis and Halifax and Barclays. And we have a very significant market share in retail trading on a daily basis through the gatekeepers.
0: That's what we do. Well, well I thought it'd be interesting for our listeners and viewers yeah. to understand what you do, because obviously you are the main organizers of the non-executive non-exec- awards, That's the right, NED yes. awards. and yep. and, and so I think we just need to understand the context of who you are, what you do, and, and so, so why the awards? And, and whilst you're chatting about the awards, we spoke two years ago about the awards. Mm. What has changed in those two years, you think? So what are the awards? Do we need them? And why do we need them? The awards,
1: I think, are essential. And if anything, they've become almost an essential fixture in the calendar of uh, corporate UK. And they do reward good governance, oversight, stewardship, best practice. And I think those four words pretty much describe the essence of what we're trying to do here. And in public companies and in private companies and in not-for-profit and private equity-backed and non-execs to watch, there is a growing sense of recognition that there is some immense talent out there that is deserving of accolades or awards. Because the sheer... A scale of what they've managed to do and what they've achieved. And and you mentioned COVID just before. Mm. I mean, my goodness, since we spoke, you, you've seen almost a, a collapse in, in equity markets at the start of COVID. You had companies that were had an urgent need for funding. Then you had companies that were preventative. Then you had companies that were perhaps opportunistic and the private markets shut and the public markets stayed open. And then suddenly debt became a big feature and then businesses were closed for several months. They'd never seen that before. Boards were having to deal with an unprecedented number of issues, an unprecedented number of times. So I think since then an awful lot has happened, notwithstanding the overall countrywide governance
0: that we've seen <laughs> turn on its head yeah. uh, in the last few weeks or months or so. So, so. so for those who are trying to understand the difference, so a company has a set of executives who run it day-to-day, yes. Then there's an oversight by a board of what we call non-execs. So these yes. are the people who don't work day to day. Yes. They provide then, we hope, the scrutiny, the support and any the advice that the execs may need to reach whatever they've all agreed is the business plan. Correct. It's effectively
1: a mechanism for challenge, which I think is a really important word. Why are you doing that? Or well, explain that one to me, please. And have you thought about this? But also, just as importantly, support. I understand that seems to make sense. Have you considered this aspect of it? Might be interesting to look at that that's that's the non-exec capacity
0: and, and and I think and it's changed and we'll chat about it but originally the non the non-exec directors were there acting behalf of the shareholders or the owners of the business. so the general sentiment used to be that they would be sitting there and driving the execs to deliver the best performance so that their Whoever they're representing, which are the shareholders, mm. get a maximum return. And that was what it used to be. But, of course, the world has changed. And, of course, when you look at the awards, your awards have lots of different categories. So, and some of those categories don't represent bottom-line performance-driven. I might argue slightly differently.
1: I think it okay. used
0: to be the execs
1: drove the business. Okay. And the non-execs were nowhere near, in my view, as influential as they are now. Okay. And I think that's a feature since the global financial crisis. I think the, the obligation of the almost regulatory responsibility given to and the almost embedded um, requirement for a non-exec to actually execute their role and, and appropriately support and challenge, as we
0: talked about, I think has grown enormously in the last, since the global financial crisis. And, and how has it changed? Well, actually, before I ask that question, so just give us some of the categories that we have in the awards. In so so the some? awards,
1: we have, we have the um, FTSE All Share, we have the FTSE AIM, we have the FTSE 100, we have the Not-for-Profit, we have the Private Equity-Backed, we have a Dame Helen Alexander Ned to Watch, um, and then we also have a Judge's Award for Lifetime Achievement.
0: So the rationale you told me last time we spoke, Stephen, was that, yes, there's lots of awards ceremonies out there that, you know, best CEO the best the best company best business best international but the gap you saw was actually those bunch of people that sit out of the limelight who sit there and are actually instrumental in driving the business forward by scrutinizing by supporting by advising and some of these people are so key but out of sight that was where you saw the gap that these people ought to be acknowledged for two reasons one they do a damn good job. Secondly, it encourages pipeline, and thirdly, it attracts the best talent. They would say, well, actually, we should be doing some of this as well.
1: Yes, no, I, I think that's right.
0: But very often, uh, non-execs are what you might
1: call unsung heroes. Yeah. They're not; they don't have their names up in lights. That's right. I mean, the chair probably to a slightly different extent. Uh, and after all, you know, I'm, I'm chief exec of a public company. I have a boss, um, that is the chairman of our company, Lucinda Riches. Uh, and I'm accountable to her who runs the board of which I'm a member of and I'm I'm charged with executing the strategy of the board and everything else that, that goes that, that goes with it. So I have to be therefore accountable. But I think for the board themselves and the non-execs you know there is a, the, the amount of the sheer weight of uh, requirement has increased significantly. You know risk risk committees audit committees remuneration committees. Yeah. You know, this has suddenly become a, a very big feature particularly in in the world of public companies.
0: So looking at these awards again, and and, and these various categories, so how as judges, and I'm one, but I'm going to ask you, how as judges do you decide makes a good NED, and then we'll we'll decide what makes an award-winning NED, but what sort of qualities would one look in a non-exec director and and, and a chairman? So what, what sort of qualities would you as a judge be looking for? The relationship that execs have with their board,
1: I think, is absolutely crucial. So there's a There's a personality aspect to this. There's a a willingness or a recognition or an an understanding of what the exec is going through because they may have had that experience in their own past. Um, Plus also the independence of thought and and, and a key word that I think we rely a lot on now, the diversity of thought, Mm. is not just from the background that individual may have. It may just be from that person's background as well. Uh, So that diversity of thought brings different opinions, different perspectives, different viewpoints, which can help shape, mould and change and influence, you know, how an exec team might act or stop them acting. So I think for all of those reasons, that's that's sort of what you look for. That's how a well-functioning board operates.
0: And a chair, what sort of qualities would you look for a chair and to sort of say that's an award-winning chair?
1: Meeting's running on time. I'm joking. (laughs) That's that's slightly flippant. Uh, There is an aspect to that because you can get very bogged down in in, in minutiae of detail. And I think um, one of the problems, I think, is when when non-execs take far too much of an executive view into what's happening. And then the job of a chair there is to make sure that you, you, you kind of stick to the key points you're looking for. Well actually guiding and shaping, nurturing, um, there was a wonderful quote from Sir John Parker who was one of the uh, original chairs of the Net, Net Awards judging panel that uh, I think he took someone out sailing on his boat and he said you know take the wheel I'm just popping out for a bit and the guy was like well what do I do and he just don't worry I'll make sure you're steering the right course and pointing in the right direction and I'll let you carry on with it. It was, it was as simple as that and if you strip it all back almost that's, that is uh, a bit of the role, make sure you're pointing in the right direction but be supportive and there if they need you.
0: And and as a judge, would you say when you're looking at the performance of a Ned or a uh, a chair that you say, well, actually, one of their main functions is market performance and profit. So how much do numbers play a role? Um, I think it's probably important
1: to recognize the fact that there are multiple stakeholders in any business. And it's not just about the numbers and the profit. After all, one of our categories is a not for profit category. Yeah, that's right. Where we have a number of, we have some fantastic people that do incredible work in the charity or public service side. Uh, and again, they're often un, unknown, um, never put their heads above the parapet, but do, do outstanding work. So it's not just about the numbers. And we know now that ESG has become a very important criteria for boards, and there's an E, there's an S, there's a G and everybody has a different opinion about what each of those means and what it should be. And, and the board is the G, the governance part, but what's the social aspect? What's the environmental aspect? All of these things are coming together. So I think the, the stakeholders
0: are, the, the landscape has shifted quite dramatically. It was interesting, um, at last year's awards, And we talk about numbers, the importance of numbers. We as a judging panel placed a lot of emphasis, actually, as the chair and the business just got through COVID, that was the first prerequisite. Yep. And so, actually, um, we looked at how well the business, the Neds, and the chair had managed its people. Mm-hmm. And I think that just adds to what you've just said. It wasn't yep. just on numbers, it was saying, well, what did they do during COVID? Yes. So, yes. it was a much more wider perspective. So, absolutely agree with you. Yep. Um, and, and so, if somebody wants to become a NED, what skill set should these people have? I think sometimes people
1: underestimate themselves yep. and what they've done yep. and the experiences that they've had, the opportunities they've been given, um, and the op- and I guess the companies or company that they have been involved with over their careers. Um, typically, boards will tend to choose non-execs based on their experience. Um, one of the interesting um, characteristics or the diverse elements of what we've done is we've looked at net to Watch, which is someone who's starting on that career. But typically you would tend to find your board is made up of seasoned individuals that have got a wide diversity of experience uh, in their backgrounds that can help um, help you move. Um, But again, that doesn't necessarily tackle all elements of diversity because age is one where um, there are generational aspects to how consumers are behaving in certain environments that um, you know, long-seasoned executives, <laughs> past executives, have got to be careful what I say. Nicely put. <laughs> yes, um, aren't necessarily as in touch, perhaps as others. So I think all of these fun, uh, features come to
0: play. It was interesting when I spoke to John Allen, Tesco yep. Chair, uh, when I said been to on him, our judging panel. Yeah, yeah, and I said to him, what do you look for? He said, well, at the moment... This is what he said, he said, at the moment we're looking for people neds who are really good at customer understanding the customer yep. buying behavior but particularly in a digital format so yep. that was a recognition of where yep. you know a certain mix is required to have the sort of right mix
1: absolutely uh, there is a, a huge generational change taking place in the way people consume all sorts of products my daughter uh, one of my daughters actually is um, is a social media influencer, which oh. is really oh, wow. kind of all it's about is product placement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, in a fashion or a form that people find interesting and entertaining, and suddenly it becomes paid for product placement. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that I know, a lot of our friends, you know, are up in arms. How can you do that? You're <laughs> exploiting people and this, that, and the other. Well, no, it, the world has changed. It's moved on. It's never going back to where it was. This is a taste of the future of how things are going to be. And I think. Many companies have recognised that. I think boards have to recognise that because there is a, you know, quite a substantial shift in the way consumption does take place.
0: As someone who watches the markets, as someone who understands the way markets move because of compositions of, of boards, it has become just as important of who your chair is mm-hmm. as it is of the chief executive. I mean, price, market prices and share prices move. So the chair is no longer... As hidden, yep. I think, as they used to be now, you know, it's because, you know, people prefer the CEO not to be the chair. So the chair is now important. So it is becoming more and more important from a market perspective. Definitely. Um, I mean, as I said,
1: the chair is the chair effectively is the chief ex boss. Yeah. So, so there's a relationship that has to exist. And, and this is not, you know, the old style panelled boardroom with cigar chomping, you know, uh, overweight individuals, you know, sitting there pontificating on what may or may not happen. It's not like that at all. I'm not saying it's it's like you see on the films where people stand up and storm out and throw chairs at people and that sort of thing. You very rarely get boardroom meetings like that. Um, but actually, it's all about managing the business, steering the business, guiding the business, challenging the execs, supporting the execs, recognizing what they're up against. In all of those things that, that come, come apart because you know, running a business can be quite a lonely job, it can be, uh, and I, I think sometimes it's very good for execs to, to know they've got the support of their board behind them and they're particularly the chair.
0: Um, it's interesting that um, we come across the word groupthink where people start to think the same and, and some people can get caught in a time warp. Now, we've seen the opposite of that in politics. We've got a revolving door at the moment. But what typically do you think is the tenure of a NED before they really should move on and and and, and maybe apply? Look, there's
1: there are academic treaties written on this sort of thing, and you get yeah. the nine-year yeah. um, period, and then you get a point system, two for a chair, one for a NED. Yeah. Um, I kind of agree with a lot of that, but I also think that there are certain individuals that are, that have so much to give, and so much of a desire to to give up what they have learnt and understood mm-hmm. for the benefit of the execs that they're working with. That's. You know, I I don't see any reason why in certain circumstances there should be necessarily a time limit. We have a lot of shareholder services firms, ISS and and, uh, et cetera, but um, who who, who look very rigorously at some of these areas and and provide their own challenge, and absolutely they're right to provide challenge. But there are always reasons I think that companies can robustly defend certain individuals, not in all circumstances.
0: So in, in, in terms of now people wanting to get onto to but because we hear about this a, uh, particularly from diversity, perspective, there's a, a problem with pipeline, and people say we're not bringing the right people across. So, how how, how can we encourage people to start looking? I, I get a lot of phone calls from people that want to become a non-exec mm. non-exec. What's the best path for? What's the best route for them to become eventually then, uh, you know, a, a on or maybe a footsie one? But what's the, is there a is there a path they can follow? Is there something out there that Helps um, them get on that path.
1: Look, I, I I don't think there's any substitute for actual networking. Okay. Um, meeting people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Making it known that that's the sort of thing that you're quite interested in, broadening the the context of of organisations or people that you interact with, um, and also flagging it pretty damn clearly. You know, a plural role is something I'd be quite interested in doing. Um, there are recruitment agencies, there are, there are women on boards, a sponsor of ours, yeah. you know, who has been terrific. Um, but there are always agencies or organizations that you can go to that can help you. Uh, and a, a great example of diversity, I was at um, the Black British Business Awards just a few weeks ago, yep. uh, where Sophie Chanduka, who's, who's also one of our judges, yep. uh, founded and has seen that grow quite substantially. Um, and it's an, it's an astonishing display of talent that you might not otherwise had been aware of um, just because. And I think there are historic prejudices, I think there are historic barriers, I think there's a historic establishment that has often stood in the way of good people trying to break into what has often been perceived in the past as a bit of a closed shop.
0: Somebody said to me um, their perception of getting into becoming an Ed was a bit like the Premiership football, and that the same managers seem to go around yeah. managing the same clubs and just simply swap positions. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I think there is a bit of a, an education, although you've said the right thing, Stephen, it is opening it up. But I think we need to encourage that pipeline and we yes. need to encourage that diversity. Yes. And and I think the one thing I always say, and you're absolutely right, is go out there and network. Yes. Because if people don't see you, yeah. then it's, not, it's, it's just not gonna happen. Now, coming back to running a board, running, a business we've talked about ESG we've talked about the S we've talked about the G being important but now let's look at the environment mm. there's a huge war going on suddenly fuel prices are going through the roof suddenly we're hearing voting on fracking is ESG dead is is it now game over and that we now have to be practical and say well actually fracking fossil fuel, and maybe those people who are pursuing the environmental gen- agenda take a back seat.
1: It's definitely not dead. It's definitely not dead. Um, I think you had an explosive growth in focus on ESG. Yeah, yeah, explosive. Um, to the end of 2021. Explosive. I've actually never seen anything quite like it. Many, many asset managers had more ESG analysts than equity analysts or debt analysts. Yeah. 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 Um, and your ESG rating was, was actually becoming your cost of capital because the better it was, the lower your cost of capital became. So this was becoming a very important uh, feature. Now, of course, the war in Ukraine suddenly threw up fuel security, homeland security, uh, food security, and you know, suddenly everyone became very protectionist. And individuals, a large number of individuals that care about ESG matters also care about their fuel bills and the safety of their own country um, and the food they've got to you know, put on a plate. Um, And we've got used to quite significant deflation in the world in an era Mm. of free money. And now when inflation suddenly rears its ugly head, you have a choice to make. So I think that's why the best performing stocks in public markets were, you know, fossil fuel type firms. Now, if you scratch a little deeper, you'll find that those firms in particular are doing more to promote their green credentials than many others because they recognise there is a shift and oil is a finite resource and we need to look at renewables and we need to look at energy transition, etc. And uh, some of these firms that are have got a historic, you know, prejudice and belief that they are anti-clean um, uh, or grubby uh, are not, are absolutely not. And one of our roles, certainly as, a, as an advisor to these companies, is to help promote their green credentials and tell the world, actually, please don't think they're anywhere near as bad as you think they are, because they're not. So ESG is not dead. In fact, if anything, it still remains a very heavy, heavily focused on criteria for scoring firms. And there are you know, blacklists that exist out there that if you're not doing anything green, we won't invest in you. Yeah. Um, the issue, unfortunately, I think at the moment is that is that ESG scoring is very much in its, I think it's still fair to say it's still in its infancy, even though there's some quite sophisticated tools out there, but you've got the likes of Sustainalytics and MSCI and CEN and these people that, that grade firms. Unfortunately there doesn't seem to be a right of reply because here's your score and then challenging it yourself to say hang on I'm, I'm not sure you've got that quite right. Um, I'm not sure we're quite there yet I think we're getting there um, but this is a very big feature it's most definitely not dead.
0: So you think most boards will continue to pursue the ESG maybe in a we're it's moving. We're
1: moving from let's tick a box. Let's say we've got. Let's here's a slide in our deck. It's called ESG, and let's you know show everyone that we we do nice things. No, it's now embedded in what you do in every page that you publish. You know, even our annual reports. Strong flow
0: through of everything in the E, the S, and the G of what you're doing. So we've spoken about what advice we can give to people who want to become an Ed. Um, And we think that's important because we want a diversity of a pipeline. Let's flip it the other way. How can organisations become, uh, in terms of their board structure, encourage diversity? What kind of steps can a board take so that they can satisfy themselves, assure themselves actually we are taking diversity quite seriously. Any, any, any sort of
1: clues? Yeah, I think there's an acceptance that diversity comes in a variety of different guises. It's yeah. not just gender, No. Nope. Um, it's not just race, it's not just age, it's not just ge- geography, it's not you know, all sorts of things. It's, it's all of those put together. And the amount of academic study on, on diversity as a concept with a diverse set of inputs coming from people with different perspectives, um, absolutely proves that it makes sense and it's the right thing to do. Uh, and I think boards are, are recognizing it. Um, the, the Hampton Alexander Review, the, the, the 30% Club, all of these things that have helped push gender diversity to start off, because that's, I hate to say these words, it's very visible. Yeah. And then of course, ethnic diversity yeah. is very visible. The I Parker mean, Review. The Parker Review. I mean, look, I'm, I'm Jewish, but David Baddiel's book, Jews Don't Count, you can't see it, you don't know. <laughs> But actually that's not necessarily diversity although it probably should be yeah but the, the number of inputs on diversity i think have become you know where it's very visible have become a big feature to look at and to encourage um that doesn't stop youth That doesn't stop geography that doesn't stop employee representation there are all sorts of other uh inputs for diversity that i think are important so it's an incumbent on boards to keep pushing that agenda so i suppose should they set targets? Should, should,
0: should, do you think targets? Targets... How can they ensure they're,
1: they're look, monitoring ta- targets are a, are a good thing. Um, and the argument against targets is that we will always choose the best person. I, I get that. But if you, can you be sure that you are fishing in a pond that's got the best people in it? Because if you're only going down a certain route, you're not going to see these open doors in other areas. So actually challenging internally yourself, if we're looking for an individual to fill a particular role, have we explored every avenue of diversity that we can, or are we kind of just sticking with what we know because that's what we
0: know? So two things. So the nominations committee becomes important. Yeah. So they've got to ask themselves, are, yep. you know, every time they meet, are we looking at diversity? So that's the first probably probably thing. And then report to the board, this is what the stats look like. And and, and I think the other uh, category that's taken, or uh, other board, subcommittee board that's taken a lot of um, importance is the is the remuneration yeah um we've got the cost of living uh, people are struggling and now suddenly what you pay your executives suddenly becomes really critical yeah from a optics yeah uh, and and i think managing that uh, almost the chair of the remuneration committee is probably some would call it a poison chalice but That's suddenly becoming even more key in how a business is perceived.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, transparency of remuneration is incredibly difficult to manage. Um, If if I put up a list, even in our firm, of the 300 people that work here and all of their pay, I'd have riots all over the place because (laughs) it's very difficult to get, to benchmark yourself against somebody else um, other than by a title. You know, you're an analyst, you're an associate, you're an assistant manager, you're a manager, you're a general manager, you're a supervisor, whatever. Titles tend to demarcate between people and individuals and you don't really know much about what they get paid to do that role. But of course, in public companies with the remuneration code, with remuneration committees, it's got to be, there it is. And when it's there, boy, is it you know, a- an attraction to look at and then speculate on and then compare and judge and pass your own judgment or thoughts on without necessarily all, all context. Um, and I think, look, there have clearly been a lot of people that have been overpaid at times. Uh, I think there are clearly an awful lot of people that are underpaid for what they do. You don't often hear those stories because that's not a good story. Yeah. It's just not a good story. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, unless you're earning minimum wage, you know, you shouldn't be allowed. To take on any type of role, um, and I'm exaggerating to make the point, and that's probably not fair. But I do think your point is right. Remuneration chair is is, is difficult because there are such uh, such an extraordinary strength of feeling um, that ex- that can exist out there to excessive pay. And actually, you know, the problem is what is excessive is very very
0: difficult to uh, to point to. So just, I mean, some of the things you're saying. You can see the range of skills that are required to be a net. They need to understand finance. So when the finance committee reports, they need to have a bit of an understanding of the environment when it comes to um, remuneration, because how you're perceived, I mean, that's very important. So you need people on the board to understand what's going on around them in terms of pay and cost of living. Um, We're talking about the nominations. They need to have an understanding of diversity and pipeline and succession planning and what the future looks like. And when you suddenly put that in the context of a global crisis all mm. around the place, and then you take the fact that potentially, maybe not, but potentially there's a recession coming, so what steps do the non-execs and execs take? You suddenly realize the value of the non-execs sure. and, the, and the range of skills, and that really adds to why you're doing the awards, because suddenly as you talk through, you yeah. think, crikey, these are, yeah. these are. And,
1: and, th- and they often have difficult decisions to take. Yeah. So the chairman could be doing a bad job, so the SID. It has to be the person to tell the chairman they want them to go. The chief exec (laughs) may be doing a lousy job. The chair has got to tell the chief exec they've got to go. There's restructuring change all over the place. So there's some tough decisions that also have to be made by boards about themselves and about the execs they're working with.
0: It's an exciting journey to be in, Ned. It's, um, It's a fantastic experience to sit with people with such brilliant business acumen comes with it, responsibility and anybody who sits on that board needs to understand they have a responsibility yep. here and if it all goes the wrong way their heads on the chopping yep. block Absolutely. as well as the exec so Absolutely. so I think when you take all of that into account you can see the enormity of why when someone picks up a gong for being yep. a great ned and those who are even finalists it shows the kind of role they've played over what period of time and that's why I think the us. are really, really poignant, particularly in a moment of crisis? Look, it's almost as simple as,
1: you know, what's, what's the number one concern a board will have for the next year? And I reckon over the last five years, there's been five completely different topics. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been, it's been diversity, it's been equality, it's been debt over equity, it's been COVID. Now it's probably vulnerability, given the, um, you know, extraordinary dislocation of valuations that exist in public markets and the collapse in private market valuations not least of which the the collapse in sterling versus other currencies you know suddenly there's all sorts of vulnerabilities out there financial vulnerability people vulnerability firm-wide vulnerability.
0: It was interesting during Covid I spoke to quite a few Neds on how their number one priority at that time was its people Yeah. and and again John-Ann talked about how Tesco's dealt with it and of course one of the the big things businesses had to make a decision, those who took furlough, was if to return yeah, it, when to pay. return yeah, it, and... Well.
1: Yeah. Business rates relief, also and, bills, all these yeah, things.
0: And all these things had to be seen through a different set of optics. And that's where the role of the non-execs came in. Yep. And it was just, just a int- fascinating... through. Now, let's pick up something while I've got you here. The economy. Mm. Let's pick up sterling. Let's pick up the stock markets let's pick up democracy globally. Um, Are we going to see an American invasion where they snap all the British assets such, I've heard just this morning, today being 21st, distrust went yesterday, the sterling's gone down again a bit. I think I just spotted on the train. Is Is this the American invasion coming?
1: Well, it's been happening for years. Um, it's been happening for years. If you look in financial services, the rise of uh, JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley, the Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, at the expense of European banks who have retrenched to their core yeah, markets, UK yeah. banks that have become a little, uh, that have been accused of casino banking. You don't, you, you've got hardly any investment banking yeah, from, UK from UK houses other than perhaps Barclays, a little bit of HSBC. So um, I think in financial services, there is definitely a concern. Not a concern. There's, a, there's a, an awareness that actually the UK is cheap. Um, maybe it's cheap for a reason. Don't forget 2016, we hung a big sign above the country saying we've just voted for something, leave yeah. us alone for a while while we figure out what we've done and what we're going to do about it. Yeah. That led to quite a flood of foreign investors yeah. from the UK back to their own home markets. A derating of UK public companies, uh, which was mi- then mitigated and came back during the COVID period where public markets showed their true colours. But the era of free money, which has seemed to be changing, which I'll come back to, yeah. threw this cheap money in the hands of private firms and private equity and allowed them to do financial engineering and take cheap companies off of public markets yeah, yeah. and stay private for longer, uh, which led to further de equitisation. But um, I think that era of free money is finished. I think the change in interest rate, interest rate cycle is going to predicate quite a significant change in the boardrooms mm. around the UK and indeed around the world. And it's all predicated on the three words, cost of capital. Because if your cost of capital goes up mm. and you're indebted, you've got to do something about it. And if your long-term investors or if your private equity investors are funding from cheap money, they can't do that anymore. Yeah. And if your private equity portfolio holder has been playing past the parcel with their other private equity friends uh, and they can't do that anymore, then the cycle is shifting and changing and turning. And I think a recently published Deloitte CFO study showed that most CFOs in FTSE 350 companies are far more focused on equity rather than debt. Now the demise of public markets has long been talked about but actually this might mean we're at the start or the hinterland of something that might show a bit of a recovery towards those areas. I'm not saying that's going to start today, tomorrow, next week, next month, or maybe even next year, but actually when you get a shift like we've seen with currency moves and cost of capital moves and price dislocation and concerns over debt and democracy and government action and yeah. everything else that goes with it, you can't sit there and do nothing. As a board, you just can't go, okay, let's, let's, let's wait to the next board meeting and have a chat about it then. These are things that are here and now and that's why i said vulnerability i think is probably one of the biggest items on a boardroom agenda for
0: 2023 and is uh, should companies particularly the FTSE, be now almost preparing defenses for uh, definitely uh, i mean
1: you know the amount of defense work that's going on i think yeah. is significant but look you you never know I'm a great believer in cycles. I'm not so much a believer in paradigms, because I think they're a bit rare. But a cycle will turn. You never know at what particular speed. Uh, And you never know when you have changed into a different cycle until you look backwards. You can't turn around and say, you know, Wednesday, October the 26th is going to be the day it all changes. You look back and go, oh, hang about. Looks like we're coming out of this. And so we aren't there yet. We might be, but I don't think we are. But we are, I think, nearly a year into this. I think this, the concerns over cost of living, inflation, um, and interest rates started in end of October, November mm. last year, That's right. picked up December, January, war in February, food security, homeland security, energy security, suddenly hit hard, then it was kind of famine, pestilence, slaying of the firstborn. It all hit in that second quarter of this year um, but I think investor sentiment bottomed in around about May, and I'm not entirely convinced it's that much worse now than it was back in May. And you actually, the more time goes on, you get a bit desensitized to what's going on. And funny enough, with all the craziness that's been happening on our TV screens with mm. government, and the revolving door, and prime ministers and chancellors and other high government office, life goes on. And, and you know, it's a, it's a cliche, but it does and everyone gets up and they go to their jobs and they drive their cars, they take their kids to school and they shout and they yell and they do what they do uh, and life goes on and actually it will calm down because it can't get much more hysterical than it is right now, hysteria rather. Uh, maybe it's hysterical but it, <laughs> you know, it can't get much more crazy than it is yeah, right now yeah, yeah. and it will settle down and we need something pretty damn boring and steady just to you know, let us all go, okay. And then boards will take stock
0: yeah, I, I don't. Say... I don't
1: think sterling is a consequence of the mini budget. Um, I don't think gilts was a consequence of the mini budget. I think it was exacerbated by the yeah. mini budget. But yeah. you go and talk to a global macro hedge fund, and the easiest trade in the world was to short the UK, short gilts, and short sterling. It's been trundling down from 140, yeah. you know, to 103, and gilts have been, you know, gone on, on a, have been a one-way bet. So it was exacerbated, um, and it's unmasked some obviously some issues with the likes of LDI but actually the UK has been in pretty steady decline for some time. So in a bizarre way, going for growth yeah. you know, is, is, yeah. is actually a strategy that we should yeah. look at, but yeah. in the confines of fiscal discipline.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that was the error, wasn't it? The, yeah. the, the principle, the strategy yeah. was crazy. It was just the tactical way they yeah. actually got round yeah. to delivering that strategy was what we I mean. yeah. so, so if I'm sitting in a board, and I do sit on a few what would be the three pieces of advice you would give from your perspective that we as a board whether you're 100 or 350 or a a charity or a smaller what would be the three issues you think a board should now concentrate perhaps for the next 12 months
1: look as i said before i think vulnerability is going to be a big issue and vulnerability is a big word because you can think of it well am i going to get taken out or am i going to get shut down Yeah. but it also brings in financial vulnerability. How is our balance sheet? What's our debt to equity level? How are our people? You know, what, what are they thinking? Wander around. Talk to them. You know, what do you see? What do you, what do you think of what we're up to here? You know, those sorts of questions. Competitive landscape yeah. is really important. And then your positioning versus other, if, you, if you're, depending on where, where you operate, versus international peers and how that sits. So I think all of those things come into that, that concept of vulnerability. And then actually, what can you do about it?
0: Have we got the right people? Have we got the right strategy? Final question I've got for you is Brexit happened, Trump came in, COVID came in and all of those three things gave you a sense of deglobalisation and more of a national agenda, even through COVID, people <laughs> protecting their own territories. So is deglobalization a temporary thing? Or is it because of digital we're now linked in so tight that actually we will always be going global and if we're always going global does that connect to ESG which will always be there?
1: Yeah I think the answer to both those questions is yes um, you know right now we've had a massive uh, period of inward focus Yeah. Uh, because of what's happening to us yeah. as a country yeah. and yes there's inflation um, but actually there's been quite a significant amount of deflation in other areas at the same time. You Mm -hmm. want to go buy TV, they're giving them away. You know, cheap end clothes markets, you can still buy stuff very, very cheap. Um, The issue has been supply chains and they're all temporary. Commodity prices have been coming down. Um, Shipping costs have been coming down. Gold price has not been rallying aggressively despite the spectre of potential inflation. So I think there are a lot of temporary issues out there uh, petrol petrol is now down at you know in the 150s it was at yeah. 199 yeah. Uh, not that long ago people don't really talk about that it's not sensationalist enough it's a bit of good news and people don't like talking about good news they like we're a country that likes to moan we're very good at it we like to moan and complain we're very good at it weather too hot too cold too hot too cold nothing's quite right there's no goldilocks here it's just we like to moan and and that's fine um actually sometimes though you wish that people that do complain have got a solution rather than just telling you what the problem is in their minds. So look, I, I think a lot of it is temporary, but I do believe you can't turn back globalisation. You just can't. We're too interlinked with other economies. We'll do trade deals with other countries and you know Brexit yeah. may last for 100 years, it may last for another five, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, but you can't turn back globalisation.
0: So I get a sense, finally, for somebody who looks at the markets from macro level, at different levels, I get a sense from you then, yeah, short term still looks a bit turbulent, but actually the long term looks good. Yeah. Look,
1: I'm, I'm naturally a glass half full yeah. type of person, yeah. um, which, you know, uh, there are reasons when sometimes you probably shouldn't be. But there is without question going to be some really tough times ahead, without question. And your heart goes out to the millions of people that are going to find life difficult because of this inflationary situation. Um, job situation, energy situation, all those things. I do believe they are temporary, but that's not going to stop a lot of hardship for an awful lot of people. But actually, if you look at, if if we can get some stability in the governance of this country, and we've talked about boards Mm. a lot, you know, Mm. you want a stable board running your company, you want a stable government running your country then actually there are an awful lot of things that we can be doing, that we are doing. The pace of regulatory reform, I think, has picked up massively. It doesn't mean we're entering an era of deregulation, but it means there's a pragmatic approach and a proportionist approach to what we can do as a country to help move towards more of a growth agenda, because that's what we need.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we'll finish now with the awards. I think it's been a fantastic overview what makes a board click and I it sits in the macro environment. Nomination date, deadline. 20th of November. So we've still got- Get your nominations we've in. We've got the nominations in. Uh, I know there's a number flooding already, so it, it is a very, very popular board ceremony. It is fantastic. March, I think, is when the yep. ceremony happens. I've been to a few of them, fantastic. The quality of the people in the room and some great winners in the past, yep. so we expect some great winners now. Um, so 20th of November is the deadline. Application: How best to find how to apply? NetAwards.com. Nedawards.com, Net Net Net. and uh, or is it coat.co.uk? Well, I we'll never find it. One we'll of find, it. Two. we'll yes. find it. Nedawards, and, and listen, we'll put it in the narrative anyway. Yeah, yeah. And um, listen, thank you very much, Stephen. And and once this podcast is finished, you're gonna have to tell me where to get those cheap cheap TV from. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> thanks very much.
0: Have a great Always day, a thanks. Thank Cheers. you.